We're in a series that we're calling Empowered. Uh, I say we, we is the Vineyard USA. This is not just our local church, but we are joining with vineyards around the country on this one. Uh, It's basically a look at what the Holy Spirit is doing uh, today and how he is doing it. And we want to know him and join in his work today. If you've been around us, hopefully you've heard us say that before. Uh, I have a tendency to rephrase things so that if you tell me that we're talking about being empowered, I'm like, well, what do we actually mean by that? So I I offered this uh, kind of question to us last week, and I'll, I'll repeat it this time. What is my personal lived experience? I'm talking about Josh here. What is Josh's personal lived experience? You can fill in your own name. What is your personal lived experience that testifies that the resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth actually happened? How do you know How do you have evidence in your lived life that says Jesus was dead and resurrected? What evidence does your life bear to that? And that the Holy Spirit of God, God in fullness, dwells in his people today as Jesus promised. Does my life, if if it's only the testimony of Scripture, that's one thing. But if you have a lived experience that testifies to that, if there's something I can say, this agrees with the biblical account, this is, they're singing in chorus. My lived experience and the eyewitness testimony of those people who saw that, we are in chorus together because this thing happened. And I can tell you that because of X, Y, and Z. These are the things that I know. This is how I know that Jesus of Nazareth was raised from the dead. Um, we looked last week at how the Holy Spirit, how he reveals things. And, and this week we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit heals. Um, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, let, let's just cut to the chase. The, the, this is where... You go from maybe having a church experience of, you know, the guy up front just talks and talks, and then we go home, and, you know, you don't want to fall asleep during the sermon, which, you know, some of you have. That's okay. I notice. Uh, (laughs) But we want to have a church experience, right, where things are actually different. You know, where, where this matters not for the hour or so that we're in here, but this matters because of what happens outside of here, because my life is shifted because of the gospel. That's why this stuff matters. Um, it's not just trying to make sense of an old book. We're trying to live out the, the work that Jesus began, and we can do that by his Holy Spirit. We're going to turn to Luke 4. Um, this is uh, Jesus's mission statement. I like to think about it that way. If you've, if you've been around a corporate office, you, you probably have mission statements, right? Five-year plans, 10-year plans. You, you get these things in, in pamphlet form, and you pass them around, and I've had so many mission statements over there, and often they're pretty generic, and you're like, ah, that's not going to happen. You know, whatever it might be. When I was, uh, I, I put this out there publicly before you all know, I worked at, at Amazon, and they had the, the ambition of being the world's best employer. Not yet. <laughs> it's an ambitious goal, and then, in fact, they actually said that, so this is not besmirching my former employer. You know, it's like, well, this is like a 5, 10, 15-year goal. But what I love is, is, is this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he gave us an insight into what he was going to do as he walked around and did things. Uh, so here we go, starting verse 14 in Luke 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is after his temptation. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I got the little Jesus mic drop. There we go. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised that if you look up Jesus mic drop, there are images for that. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that sermon? To read something prophesied about a long time ago and to say, this is fulfilled today. Like, wow. And it says that he began that way. Where do you, how do you follow that up? You know, what, what did he say next? I mean, what an amazing thing to say that this is happening today. Here it is. This thing we've been longing for, this thing that we've been hoping for, this thing that, that we've talked about and, and we've had so many people commenting about, it is fulfilled today. What an amazing thing for Jesus to be able to say that. It's a bold statement, right? I mean, nobody else would have the, 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 the chutzpah to be able to say that, that, that this is fulfilled today in your hearing. And I want you to notice, it's the Spirit of the Lord on him. This might not be how you think about the Trinity, and that's okay. Allow for yourself to be wrong. <laughs> the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted, right? And it says here, Jesus returned in the Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and he said, then he prophesied, saying that the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Now, how does, this, how does this work? I mean, this is the whole age-old question. I think Karis and Ava both learned this lesson, that, that if they asked me deep theological questions at bedtime, their bedtime was postponed by at least 15, 20 minutes. So, so Karis would wait until we're getting there. Like, and I, I remember the one night where Karis was like, hey, Dad, can you explain the Trinity to me? And I'm like, is she testing me as a pastor or as a dad? I, I, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I'm going to lose this one. Because how do you do it? I told her about the, you know, well, there's the, the three-leaf clover, which, you know, no, actually, they said that that was heretical. So, okay, let, let's, let's try another one. You know, we got water in three states. No, okay, that doesn't. How do we explain the Trinity? How does this work? And I don't know that we can ever truly come up with a good definition of this, except to see the way that it's worked over time. And, and what I see over time is this amazing interplay between everybody in the Trinity in a way that, that just looks good and healthy and proper. That we don't have Jesus going off as a rogue agent doing whatever he wanted to do. We don't have the Spirit just, you know, whooping people up into pandemonium and, and, and chaos. That we don't have the Father glaring down at them saying, what a mess you guys are making. We don't have them warring each other. We don't have, have Jesus saying, we got to save people. And the Father's like, no, I want to kill them all. We, we don't have this warring within the tree. We have this beautiful display of them being in unity in all that they do. That Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus prophesying, Jesus fulfilling, Jesus doing these things with the Spirit, only doing what the Father was doing, that they're all present, all engaged, all at the same time with the same heart, with the same goals. Oh, that we would be like that. But that's the invitation here. That's what this whole Empower series is about. We're invited into that relationship. We're invited to take part in this way. We're invited to be a part of this great story of the Trinity doing what it does for us, on our behalf, amongst us, in us, that his spirit in us is a huge deal. It, it's not a small little side effect. It's not that, that Jesus was this great guy and he did all this stuff because of who he was. He did it by the spirit, the same spirit that's made available to us. 
That's why this stuff is really intriguing, why this goes beyond what I think. So Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, brings healing. I don't think we should use the members of the Trinity interchangeably without any rhyme or reason. I think that's a disservice because we miss out on that beauty. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, doing what the Father was doing, um, it was all that he could do. So if you've got that in your theology in any way, that, that you've got Jesus warring against the Father, you need to drop that from your theology because that theology will actually drive you away. It, 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 you can't hold that tension of a God who wants to do one thing but another God who wants to try to fight against that, and you have God warring with himself. God is never at war with himself. So anyway, this is what the Father sent Jesus to do via the Holy Spirit. Here's his, his mission statement. Proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, Recovery of sight for the blind, which is where we're going today with the healing. Setting the oppressed free. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I mean, that's a great mission statement. And actually, I love that if, if you look back in, in Isaiah, that Jesus stopped this prophecy right before one point in it, and it's beautiful how he did it. So he says, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of, 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 of judgment is the next line. The day of judgment's not here yet. So when Jesus said, I'm doing this today, that's exactly right. This is what he's doing. We are in this age of the favor of the Lord. The, the, the ultimate judgment will come. I mean, like I, like I was almost saying beforehand, right, that all the consequences for the lives that we've lived, the choices we've made, those will be laid bare. But we have this age of grace to work things out in fear and trembling. We have this wonderful place. You know, when things are made right, we won't need to have the gift of healing anymore. It, it, it will be irrelevant, <laughs> Right? We, we won't need to have uh, tongues, right? Because it'll be irrelevant. We will always worship. We will always marvel at the glory of the king. We will always, I think, explore the, the beauties of his creation. There's a lot that I think is coming in the age to come, but I don't want to get off on those tangents. All right, let's look at this one specifically. Let's look at healing specifically, because that's what we're talking about today. We're going to stay in Luke, Luke chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Why, why is this included? I mean, realize that they were an oppressed people, right? And this is kind of the army side of the, those oppressors for you coming and asking for help. You're in an interesting spot politically, if, if you're listening to this one. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. There's a lot going on here. You know, first, what's with this weird, almost passive-aggressive, get Jesus to come, then saying, nope, stay away? <laughs> you know, like, like, come to my house. No, really, I don't want you to come under my roof right now. Was the house a mess? You know, was, was there something else going on the calendar? Uh, I was listening to, to Charles Montgomery preach on this scripture, and I loved this little tidbit that he pulled out. There was this great faith of, of the centurion, right? 
that amazed Jesus. Can you imagine being able to amaze Jesus? I, like, like that's, that's something. That, that really tells us something that unusual is going on. I can see John, like whenever we're all united, I can see John talking, yeah, I'm the disciple who, you know, Jesus loved. You know, like Peter's like, I'm faster than you, and <laughs> I know you put that in there. I'm faster than you, and I walked on water. Nobody else was doing to do that. And then you see the centurion. I amazed him with my faith. I mean, that, that's another mic drop kind of moment there. It, it, it's a crazy thing to see here, but what Charles pointed out in his sermon on this is the great faith was that he could ask God for what he wanted, but not necessarily the way that he wanted or expected it to happen. That's actually a really big point, and I want to make sure that you hear what I'm saying, right? He knew what he wanted. He wanted his servant to be healed. And we have normally a prescription for how we think that's going to happen. God, I, I want you to help me with this test. God, I want you to, to lead me to this. Lord, I need your healing. Lord, help me navigate this problem that I'm coming up here. Whatever our requests might be. And we often know what that's going to look like. I will get an A on my test, right? My, my healing will be complete and I'll be able to move on with my life. Whatever it may be. And so whenever we, we come to church, we, we often put these expectations on the people that are doing ministry, right? That whenever I come forward, yeah, you're going to, you know, respect me. You're going to keep my personal distance there. You're going to ask me for permission. I'll put my hand on you. Then we'll, we'll pray these prayers and these few, few steps and things are going to happen. Then you'll go sit down. There might be some tears. That happens. And, you know, it's, things are great. We get these formulaic responses on how we expect things to happen here. The great faith of the centurion is that what Jesus had been doing was going to these people and healing them. And the centurion somehow knew that's not how this thing is working. He somehow almost recognized the Spirit of God, which is beyond all this, which is, uh, I don't want to say separate, but united with Jesus, but across distance. This was a healing Jesus did across distance. Like, that's not how the, the incarnation works. We have something beyond the incarnation happening here by the Holy Spirit. This is a big story. And the centurion seemed to dial that in and to be like, okay, I, I don't need you to come to my house. I don't need it to work the, the way that everything else has been going because I know who you are. I can recognize that there's something going on here that's beyond this. So there's another thing going on here. Is this teaching us quid pro quo? Don't we often teach against that? We don't earn our, our, our favor. We don't earn our healings. We don't earn the, the, the right for, for God to do things, right? But here we say that this guy helped us build the temple, so therefore you, you should. Doesn't grace teach us the exact opposite of that? So again, in Scripture, it's where we see this. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Pro-Israel, <laughs> and, and, and so it's, it's a worthy thing here. So Jesus went with them. It says, so Jesus went with them. All right, what are we going to do with this? <laughs> do you know how grateful I am that bad theology isn't enough to remove us from experiencing God's goodness? You cannot convince me, truly, that, that Jesus healed this man because he built their synagogue. That's, that's not why this happened. I, I just, I, that's, not, that's not it. But what I want you to hear is this. It puts us in the same room. Do you hear what, what I'm saying? The, the goodness, the, there is value to saying yes to God along the way. There's value to living a good life. There's value to up-honoring what, whatever the Lord has called us to do. Being obedient brings us into a place where we can be in sync with what the Father is doing. 
If I'm always turning my back, if I'm always going to the left or the right, I'm not in the same room with him. What we see here is this was a man who knew how to be there. He knew where to look. He knew how to hear the words of God. He had somehow something in his soul recognizing that, that he was in the right place to say, that guy, that Jesus of Nazareth, I need that his touch. I need him to come to my house. I need his healing. There's something that brought them together. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not because of the good works that he did that brought him into the same room. Uh, I love this passage, like I said, because Jesus was not physically there. This is Holy Spirit territory. And I think that often we think, I don't minister like that. You know, I don't, I don't lay my hands on people. That's weird. I, I, I don't do this or that or the other. Whatever those things are that we've put up these boundaries of things that we've learned. Um, okay, fine. That's not your ministry. But what is the Holy Spirit doing? I think that this is, again, why the first few weeks of this series are so important, that we understand with reverence and submission that the Holy Spirit is God. In, he's God. He's God in fullness, that, that we can see that the Holy Spirit, when he's acting, when he's moving, all that God is, is at work. That there's not this disunity going on in the Trinity. It's not just like, oh, the Holy Spirit gets away with us when the Father's not watching. Or, or we can do this now because you know, things are a little different or whatever it is. What is the Holy Spirit doing? What is God doing here today? William and our church loves to talk about how uh, we, we mimic what we've seen. In the vineyard, we've used the phrase, it's better caught than taught. So that's why, you know, often people have their hands up and everything like this. Like, it, it's a, you know, it's a little weird. People in the world don't, don't go around doing that, holding up their hands. And he talks about the early days of the vineyard. Their church didn't have AC. You don't want to put your hands on somebody because it was too hot and it was uncomfortable. So they just kind of kept their hands away. And then they were going on a mission trip and they saw everybody kind of doing that. It's like, why are you doing that? It's like, this is what we saw you doing. <laughs> so we have this way of mimicking things, trying to make something happen. And I think that that idea of mimicry is not in itself bad, but that's what the centurion again was able to get beyond. He wasn't trying to duplicate how Jesus was ministering before. He had this reverence, this submission of saying, God, whatever you will. You know, like, I, you don't have to come to my house. I want, sure, it'd be nice if you did. You don't have to. I understand how authority works. The ways that you've always been doing things isn't how I necessarily have to have it happen today. If we are a people of the Holy Spirit, I think we have to be willing to say, whatever you're going to do, that gets messy. That can lead to a lot of problems. But that, I think, is what we mean if we really want to be a people that are engaging with the work of the Holy Spirit today, because He is a sovereign God. He's not a force of nature. We can't put Him in a box and say, this is how it works. This is the theology of, of the Holy Spirit ministry, and so we're going to open up this box. We're going to take out one tool. We're going to apply it in this nice, controlled setting and move on with our lives. If we actually mean, come Holy Spirit, we're inviting the presence of God to our midst. He who created all things with the word into our hearts, and I don't even get how that works, <laughs> to speak, to move, to do, this is a very big thing. And I, I hope that we understand that, that this is not just feeling a certain thing when a, a song goes a certain way. It's not just seeing something or experiencing something. This is talking about total submission to whatever God would be doing that could cost you anything. That your life could be upended because all of a sudden you're like, I know my life will not be complete unless I go to Panama as a missionary. I know my life will not be complete unless if, if I go into war-torn Ukraine and fight for God's word to be heard among those who are being political refugees right now. 
Whatever those things might be that stir in your heart, that you know now that my life is taking a drastic turn because I'm partnering with whatever the Holy Spirit is doing right now. So why then do we talk about healing so much? If it's partnering with whatever the Lord is doing, whatever the Holy Spirit's doing, why does healing come up time and time and time again? Why does the vineyard talk so much about it? Why is this what we see on TV? Why are these the testimonies and the stories that we go to so much of the time? Why are there so many stories in the gospel about the same thing over and over again? How many lepers were healed? How, how many blind men? How many lame men? So in this world, I'm finding increasingly in my older age, we really need it. <laughs> Kids, if you want a stable job, healthcare is pretty good. People hurt themselves. You know, we get old. Entropy. Our bodies start falling apart. And there's always this need for us. But healing confronts the fall in a very profound way that is way more than, than just like putting a Band-Aid on our wounds. Healing confronts the fall. It sets things right. It, it tells us that there's a different story than, than just the, the general decline of our bodies. I, I remember that somebody told me once that getting old, um, and I find this to be pretty true, at least in my mid-40s where I'm at right now, it's like, you know, in your youth, you're in this nice warm bath and things are great and you know, life is nice. And then it's like, you know, you've been in a bath so long that the, the temperature starts to get a little bit colder. And it's like, oh no. Like, and then you're out of hot water because your kids use the shower. <laughs> True stories. Right? And so the, the, the temperature is just, just, just going down a bit. It's not cold yet, but you, you can't quite get that warm when you get that chill in you. I find that that's a pretty good description of, of aging. To have a God who cares enough to intercede to turn back some of the brokenness of this world in whatever capacity we can submit it to his authority is amazing. It's a profound statement that God cares enough for our bodies. It expresses love. It's a felt need. Again, to, to quote my grandfather's wisdom, he says, if money can fix it, it's not a problem. Many of our health problems are not fixable by money, right? So for God to show up and to bring healing, it's a profound kingdom statement. So I think, you know, again, God's going to do what God's going to do, but we have seen through Scripture, we see continually through ministry, that he tends to do this. This tends to be a way that he shows his love for his children. So sometimes, notice, sometimes uh, the reason for our physical ailments is spiritual, right? Sometimes he says, you know, your sins are forgiven to the layman, and they say, you can't say that. And he goes, what do you mean? So that you know that I have the power to forgive sins, pick up your mat and walk. And he's saying that, that there's something more going on here, right? That he's, he's allowing us to understand behind the scenes, we're all this complicated mess of these things wrapped up together. One of the very first Vineyard sermons I heard on healing that, that made me feel very comfortable in this place and with this theology is that sometimes when you're sick, there's a spiritual attack. And that's when we need to pray for deliverance. Sometimes it's physical and you need to take an Advil. <laughs> right? That seems logical, right? If, if you stub your toe, that doesn't mean that a demon was doing something, and we need to be able to be wise and, and astute enough to realize whenever something physical is going on versus something spiritual, we need discernment. We need to be able to recognize what is going on and how this is working. Sometimes a physical sign of a spiritual reality, like I said, a, a role and a metaphor for so much more, because he's the great physician who said over him on the cross, physician, heal thyself, when someone is sick spiritually, 
often their physical body is an inroad for that. So all of these reasons are coming together. I think there's an overarching issue in this, though, that we are increasingly relationally unwell. We are increasingly relationally unwell. It, it's probably overpreached, uh, but I love that Jesus laid hands on the lepers. I mean, that's a really profound thing. They are untouchable. Like, that, that, that's the language we use. It's contagious. <laughs> you do not touch them. You do not engage with them. They're on the outskirts of the town. They're on the outskirts of society. You don't want to cross with this because then it can get through everybody, right? And Jesus was known to touch people, so if he got leprosy, just imagine the, the mass contagion breaking up because this guy from Nazareth is just going around laying his hands on everybody after he touched the leper. Thankfully, that's not how this works. He restored them relationally and socially as well as physically. So Matthew 8, real quick, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. There's the woman who was bleeding. That was unclean. He set out the demoniac in, in chains living amongst pigs. That was un unclean. He's restoring these people to where they should be in society. Healing was doing way more than just fixing their bodies. It was addressing a larger systemic problem that illness caused. Uh, many of you might have shared a meal with me, and you, you might have noticed that, that at certain times I get up and excuse myself to the bathroom. Um, it's not because I have to go to the bathroom always. I, I have a swallowing difficulty, and this has been going on for a, a long time, like 10, 15 years. It scares my kids because I, I'm kind of choking. And, and it's a, it, oh, I, I try to swallow. The food doesn't quite go down. I can still breathe, but there's something weird going on, and I'll, I'll go, and I'll have to, like, <clears throat> you know, really cough things up, and it's gross, and I don't want to subject people to that. But here's the thing. I'm afraid and I'm ashamed of it, <laughs> and I don't know why. Isn't this a funny thing that we do, that we're ashamed sometimes of what's physically wrong with us or what's mentally wrong with us? As, as if this is somehow painting the picture that I'm an inferior human because I have some medical problem that I'm dealing with right now, right? And, and this is, this is I, I, I know this feeling, I know this emotion. I don't know if I can explain why I feel that way because I'm in the bathroom by myself thinking, if I did choke and die, nobody would know. <laughs> if I was smart, I should stay where there are people and, and you know, try to, to, to unlodge this. By the way, I'm going to the doctor on Tuesday to try to get this some looked at, so have hope. But, right, we have this shame sometimes with our physical bodies. We have this shame sometimes with our, our mental issues when we need healing for that as well. Logically, I understand there's nothing shameful, but we have this feeling of being burdensome or annoying or, or, or just too broken, and we don't want that to, to be in, in the public eye. I, I want to share some personal stories about um, healing because, you know, these, this is often, I feel like, a, a bad look for the church where we're like boasting of our stories, like, listen to what, what God did. The Vineyard's really good, I think, about sharing our stories of success and failure. One of the things that we have a theology for is a theology for success and failure. We, we understand that when we pray, it doesn't always happen. That is not necessarily because of a lack of faith. It's not necessarily because you're inferior to this. It's not necessarily because all these things are going. It's because we're in this age in between. There's a kingdom come and coming. We understand that we have now partial 
access to things that one day will be revealed in, in, in full. That's scriptural. So w- though we ask for these things, though we long for these things, th- though we have the testimony that these things happen, we know it's not going to happen perfectly right every single time that we do it, sometimes for no fault of our own, sometimes for a fault of our own. But it, really, we have this theology of success and failure. So one of the things that Vineyard does really well is it shares these stories where we prayed and nothing happened. There's actually a, a video that we're not going to show in here right now, but it's a, a video of the Vineyard uh, lab praying for healing. And so this is something you can find on, online. Uh, Columbus, I think, was the one doing this. And they film the, the, the people praying, and then they say, how are you doing? It's like, still sick. <laughs> nothing changed. It's, this is one of the reasons I love uh, the, the Vineyard, right? Because we tell true stories, and we know that we don't have control for this. I, I don't think God shows up well on camera. I just don't. Sorry for anybody watching this online. Um, that's not been my testimony. That's not been the way I've experienced it. Uh, people have testimonies. Great. My personal testimony is it doesn't always work that way. So anyway, some stories. The first time I experienced somebody with healing, uh, this was in Panama, which I mentioned already, I was on a missions trip. I was a teenager, 13 years old, and there was a woman who must have been probably in her late 70s or 80s who came up talking to me in Spanish, of which I could not understand. And we had a translator who said, she has cancer in her throat. Would you please pray for her? And so uh, there was a girl and I, uh, we were doing ministry in that way, and she put her hand on the woman's throat. I put my hand on top of her, and we prayed. I felt absolutely nothing. The woman started sobbing, and the girl said, did you feel that? I said, feel what? And she said, the, the tumor disappeared underneath my hand. Like, wow, why was my hand on top of her hand? That would have been nice to feel. <laughs> Whatever happened there, I don't know. That was my first glimpse at this. I, I love a, a story, too, of, of Karis. Karis was learning about this. Poor Karis was um, in the Vineyard Church from an early age, so she has nothing else that she knows except the Vineyard way of doing things. So as a probably six-year-old girl, there was a kid at our pool who, who got hurt. Do you remember this one? Exactly. <laughs> And she thought, just very matter-of-factly, well, why don't we pray for her? And she just, she didn't know the kid, walked right up, and just said, can I pray for you? And the kid was like, okay. <laughs> and cares and boldness prayed. And the girl said, I feel better now, and moved on. These profound little simple things that, that happen that are, are, are naturally super, it's just this way of living life, I find. Uh, we were doing a small group in, in, in church, and this guy came in with his hand in a cast, kind of like what Ava has right now, one of those removable ones. And we were preaching in small group about healing. And uh, I was talking about how, you know, my stories aren't 100%, you know, all sorts of stuff. And, and uh, the guy says, well, I have faith that I think the Lord's healed me right now, rips off his cast and starts doing push-ups. And me, being the great you know, source of faith, and I'm going, like, oh, stop! <laughs> and he does about 20 push-ups, which is also impressive to me, <laughs> because, you know, I don't know if I could do 20 right now. And that's it. You know, what's going on here? Now, here's, a lot of these things are things I prayed for for other people, but I want to share this one. I, I was going with a man who would eventually become an elder in the church to see the first Ant-Man movie, so that dates this, and uh, I had been preaching about healing in our church for a while, and he wanted to, uh, to, to see the movie without me complaining about the pain in my neck. You, you know, we, you get older, and sometimes things just lock up, and I could not turn my head at all. And so uh, this, this man who, I got to tell you, had no faith, who was not getting on, and you know the atmosphere of praying, you know, like when you spiritualize yourself, and you're like, okay, we're going to pray now, and you kind of you know, get yourself steady 
I don't know why you got to take the, the feet like, okay, we're going to do this now. But we do that. And he just, I believe, completely jokingly, just put his hand on my neck and said, you know what? Be healed. It, it, just like that, everything made right in my neck. And I was like, I, that was not biblically accurate how you did that. <laughs> That's not culturally how we do things. And it was amazingly effective. I mean, it was one of those things where he just pronounced it, and it happened, and I'm the recipient of that one. I'm so grateful for that, too, because it it's not huge, right? But that, that, that changed my look at it. I, I still go back to that story because I'm the one struggling with pain. I'm the one who can't turn my neck, and this guy, just as a lark, says, be healed, and I am. I mean, what kind of a kingdom are we in where this is the stuff that works? Um, there was a couple who came to the church where I was at before here, and they were an unmarried, unwed couple. They were not believers. But they had heard about the vineyard, and they knew that we prayed for healing. And uh, they were pregnant, and the baby was uh, diagnosed with hydrocephalus. I don't know how you say it. It's where the, the baby essentially has uh, no skull, and there's liquid and everything that's kind of there. The prognosis was not good. And um, they didn't want to come to church, but they wanted to meet for healing. They wanted us to pray for the healing because the doctors told them that they had until a few weeks in to make a decision on how this was going to go and the mother's life was going to be at stake. These are those worst-case scenarios that you hear about. And they came faithfully uh, week after week to meet with me. And, you know, after a few minutes of praying for a, a baby that you can't see, you, you, I start bringing other people, like try, try to get all the, the sources going that we can. So we, we added more and more people, and we prayed, and then we pray, and then we're like, I don't know what else to say. And so, you know, and I, I shared with them really briefly about how, you know, we can sometimes pray in tongues with words that we don't understand. And so this is the case, you know. So we started trying to do that just to, to do this week after week. Prognosis remained the same. And I was like, God, this story makes sense to me. Here's a couple coming to you via the church saying, I don't believe, Lord, would you help? Would you make this happen? Um, the very last time they came, they were going to the doctor right after them. And I never heard the answer to that story. I believe I know what that means, that there was no healing. And it still breaks my heart. Like, why would the Lord heal my neck on a lark? And that baby was not. This is the tension that we're in. This is the brokenness of this world. This is why this stuff is not easy, why it doesn't seem fair, why the church needs to be mobilized and do this stuff lovingly and well and purely. I, I started this last week, and I think it's really important, right, that we attempt to confront these hard questions, that we're not just going to say, this is all great and good, and we're, we're going to just, you know, plow forward. You know, when we talked about Revelation, we said, why are we not all in agreement all the time? If the Holy Spirit's revealing things, why are we sometimes in disagreement with each other? Well, I think that that's the question that we have here now. Why isn't everyone healed? I mean, if, if this is what the Lord wants to do, if this is what we have the power and authority to do, if this is the activity of the Holy Spirit, all this stuff which I agree with, then why is this hard? Why does it not work? Why do we, even in this room, I could probably go around and we could probably all list things that the Lord has not done that we wanted and asked for him to do. And people have left the church over disillusionment and hurt and, and just frustration over this whole thing. If we're preaching this, if we're trying to go for this, then things are, are not happening. What is going on here? Mark 6. 
Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus couldn't do many miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. He couldn't. He couldn't. He wouldn't. He shouldn't. Like, we, I want to kind of throw some other words in there because couldn't is, is a hard word for me in this translation. He couldn't do many miracles there. How does that line up with my understanding of, of the sovereignty of God? How, how does this make sense with my, my, my whole understanding of how this world works? How does a God who has power and authority and goodness and love struggle in his hometown because of the, the role of his people? Like, how does this make any sense whatsoever? Was it not what the Father was doing for them? Some teachings I've heard in the vineyard over the years is that God is always healing. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, just, just to be frank, right? I mean, that, that we're, we have these honest accountings of things. Is God always healing? I've seen him not. Whenever I think it would be a great thing for him to do. I do believe that we, for whatever reason and to whatever extent, have a role to play in this. That This is where this gets really weird and frustrating and hard, is that we, the church, have a role to play in this. We, the creation, have a role to play with the creator. That was the plan. I mean, if you go back again to creation of all these things, like he put us in the garden to tend to it, to take care of it, to use our, our hands, our feet, our voices, to name, to bring order, to weed, to toil, to set things up right, to maintain them, to do that, that good work naturally supernatural as we do this stuff. We are participants in the activity of the kingdom of God advancing, not simply witnesses. And it brings me back to the question I have for this series. It's not guilt-inducing, it's not shame-inducing, but you're not healed because you don't have enough faith causes people to panic, to shut down, to go against doctor's advice, to, to prove their own faith. And this is all a misapplication of this teaching. One of the, the best nuggets of wisdom dropped on me about this uh, over the years is that all healings are temporary. All healings are temporary. If you think about that, you know that's true. All healings are temporary. Lazarus's healing was temporary. He died again. I mean, all of these things that we have in this world are only going to work for some period of time, right? And, and, and this is just the reality of a broken world. This is it. So I think when we elevate healing to this level, to this extent, we're actually missing out on some of the goodness of God moving throughout all of this. Uh, Chris and I were talking about this briefly on Thursday, that there's so much hype and manipulation around healing ministry. So much. In an unhealthy way. There's so much hype and manipulation around healing ministry. False testimony is false. It's a lie. That's a sin. Don't do it. When we're not healed yet, we need to be honest. And may we remain in a posture of understanding the goodness of God even in the disappointments that we might suffer in this world. Even as we're saying, it hasn't happened yet, but Lord, I'm going to remain in a place of hoping and longing for you. In my early days, I would probably call any healing that faded the result of maybe adrenaline or emotionalism, therefore, at work, right? Somebody would say, oh, I feel better, I can do it, and then, you know, 10 minutes later, then they, it, it hurts again. And, oh, I don't want to say that out loud because then I'm going to wreck somebody's faith. And then we live in this weird dimension of not having the full story, and the church might be celebrating this where I'm actually struggling with this. And I don't want to say that too loudly because then, oh no, now I'm responsible for this maybe false testimony. How does this work? 
I think uh, one of the things that I'm truly grateful for in this world is any reprieve of brokenness that I can find. I think we're so quick to, to jump to this diagnosis of, of healing or, or no healing, and I think that there's often grace to be found in the moment in the presence of God. This is, I know it sounds like a non-answer. Maybe it is a non-answer because this is a hard question, but I think that, that we are in such a, a frenzy to make our testimony strong, to compete with the other stories, to try to make our testimony that the best, the strongest, to showcase the glory of God, that we're putting ourselves in the position where we should be putting the Holy Spirit. We're making this about this story, we're making this about us, we're making it about, about my lived experience, when the invitation, I think, is instead to come to the table, take part in whatever the Lord's doing with a humble submission, to say, I know what the picture of healing is. I know what I'm longing for. I know what we're talking about. I know what, what we can see. And until we get that, I'm going to remain at this table. I'm going to remain in a posture of pressing in for it. That's hard work. That's hard work. But it's honest work. It's the work that the church has been in from the time that Jesus ascended until he comes again. This time of, of longing and, and having in part but not in full. I want to add this. When we planted, we began looking at, at, a, at one of the, the callings. We had kind of two distinct things that the Lord called us to, to plant this unique church out. One was to, to bless marriages, um, and the, the, the second one was, was to really kind of press into healing for mental illnesses, uh, specifically depression and, and anxiety and things like that. And we didn't know what form that would take. I still think we don't know exactly what form that's going to take, but we believe that this is something that the Lord is doing uniquely in our church that we need to learn more about. And so anytime that we come across somebody who's doing healing ministry and all this sort of stuff, we ask them, are you seeing any fruit in this? You know what's amazing? Nobody is. <laughs> and it's surprising. Like, you know, you lay hands on somebody, and, and you can see, like, my neck being healed. You know, whatever these things might be, the cancerous tumors disappearing. They're not the testimonies that we are getting right now in many of these places, I'm not saying nowhere, of depression and anxiety being lifted off a person in that moment. Why is that? What's going on here? Why, why is this the story? There was a, um, a friend who said that, that he had struggled with his depression with Jesus and medication. And um, at the time, I saw that as weak, um, quite frankly. And that's not a good look for, on me because it was incomplete. And I, I felt this, this kind of like lowered bar of like, oh, that's such a disappointing thing. He did not see it that way. And I realized over the time, especially as I got to talk to him, that, that there was actually real wisdom in navigating life with this naturally supernatural view. The, the problem is when we let go, I think. When we stop asking, when we stop pressing, when we accept the brokenness of this world kind of as the standard. And I think that this is, again, that hard spot of being in the radical middle, this place of asking for more, understanding what good looks like, and not stopping until we get there. How do we keep that passion? How do we keep that zeal? How do we keep that drive at the same time recognizing that this world is a broken place? Welcome to ministry. Welcome to, to figuring this stuff out in context. Not saying you're either in this camp or that camp, but saying we're going to work this out together. Um, we're going to move to ministry. 
And before I do that, I, I don't want to presume that just because I'm preaching on, on healing, that that's the, the only thing that we're going to be doing today. Because I think if you listen to the first part of this, right, we submit to the Holy Spirit. What is he doing? When I say, come Holy Spirit, what if there's nobody in here who's sick right now? <laughs> that would be strange, but also that, that's probably not the case, right? So how do we do this? You know, how do we, we minister in a way where we say, come Holy Spirit to whatever he would do? And I think that that's exactly what it is. He's sovereign. He's divine. We serve him. We want to see what he's doing and join into that work. We know that he tends to heal. We know that we have needs. But last week we talked about revelation. He's probably still doing that. The, the call last week was, if you need clarity where there's confusion, we want to pray for you. So if there's confusion in your life and you need clarity, we still want to pray for you. But if there is anything going on with your bodies right now that are not full, that are not right, mental states, physical states, relational states, spiritual states, where you need healing, we also want to pray for you on that. And we have faith. We have faith to believe and to understand that this is what the Holy Spirit tends to do. We've seen it through Scripture. We've seen it through our own stories, through our own testimonies. And we want to extend that same benefit, that same blessing, that same goodness of saying, the Lord has a plan for you that does not excuse the brokenness of this world. The Lord has a plan for you that confronts the brokenness of this age and says, there's a better path forward. So we want to make a, a place for that as well. Here, here's the way I always say it. I don't know how well I would fare as a blind man, quite frankly. I, I don't think I'd have a good experience. I, I think some people handle that well. I don't think I would. This is personal failure on my, on my own part. My hearing's not too good either. So if I ever go blind, please don't ever be ashamed to pray for me to see. Please don't feel like you're going to be getting a judgment card. Please don't feel like I'm going to judge you and your faith based on what happens or what doesn't happen, okay? Because th this idea of coming before the Holy Spirit in a hopeful longing is a way that we're saying that His authority, His sovereignty is our hope. His good plans, His goodness is the reality we want to experience. It's not about us who are doing the praying as much as it's about the goodness of God who has a plan for us. And if we know what that picture of good looks like, then we can help steer our way to get there. And that, I think, is the role of the church.